defenses. Initiate bank protocol. What's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your uh, host, Palm Reader, here for another episode of Bird Protocol. Uh, and uh, we got another guest this week. We're going to get a little bit nerdy about filmmaking. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. We had a great conversation with Brian, uh, writer and director of Snow Blinded. And now we're pivoting to another local filmmaker, maker, mater, filmmaker with another uh, 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 great local film that is coming out very soon. But first and foremost, Otis, how are you doing today? Doing good. Uh, as we were talking about uh, before, it's really hot out, uh, but I don't know anything about that. I haven't left. I'm still in my boxers. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, I'm hanging loose today, hanging loose and wild. A uh, <laughs> little hungover, a little hungover, you know, too. Yesterday I went out for a couple of drinks. Can't drink like I used to. Uh, yeah, I'm a bit of, I think I'm approaching bitch age. So I gotta, I gotta do something about that. Maybe I gotta get a frontal lobotomy like fucking Jordan Peterson, man of the man up. Well, I just uh, want to give the audience this chance. This is the episode where you're allowed to imagine Otis in his underwear because he actually admitted to being in his underwear and letting it hang loose. And who is our guest today? A fellow uh, a filmmaker, someone you worked with on something. Why don't you introduce him? Yeah, so today, uh, like two weeks ago, we had Brian on. This week, uh, we're talking to Dan, who uh, is the writer and director of Regicide, which was a film I was talking about and working on uh, last summer. So it's also appropriate that it's hot as fuck, because that was also a week and a half of probably the hottest days ever. So uh, yeah, we got Dan McLeod on to come and talk to us about Regicide. What's up, Dan? Yeah, what's up? I'm really glad nobody died during the filming of that because uh, heat stroke. Like I thought that was gonna be the one thing that was gonna take someone out. Like we got oh, yeah. bee stings, we got stinging nettle, but we all survived. But I was pretty sure the heat would get at least one of us. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Well, yeah. welcome to the show. I hope you're inside somewhere warm or cold. It's not warm. Ew. Cold. Hope you're inside somewhere cold. I'm used to doing this in the winter and saying, hope you're what inside somewhere What kind of sadomasochist warm. shit are you into? Oh, sorry, it's my brain. It's warm outside. I hope you're in warmer. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just went for a walk in the warmth and my brain's a little fried. Yes, Dan, okay. thank you for coming on. I heard all about your shoot last year uh, in the heat in the uh, sweltering countryside of, uh, of Ontario. But before we talk about making the movie and what that's all about, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody who's listening and, uh, and give them a little bit of uh, insight into your body of work. Sure. Well, yeah, for like I said, my name is Dan. Um, this is my second feature film. I've done a lot of short films as well. I make my bread and butter doing corporate film work and I run the Kitchener Waterloo film festival. And uh, that's about it. That's as interesting as I get. Uh, yeah, Dan has another film, which is like a hilarious spoof. Uh, it's called Force Fury. I don't know where you could watch it, but like, it yeah. that movie was like supposed to be intentionally like bad, right? Yeah. So I guess a bit of background about my taste. Like most of my spare time, when I'm not making stuff. I'm watching. The crappiest garbage I can get my hold on, get a hold on from like the 70s through the 90s. 
and rock on for whatever reason i just find it extremely entertaining i like being able to see the seams and what they're doing i can figure out what they did and how they fucked up and i just really enjoy that so for my first feature film i was like man i want to make a movie like that then i did and then when i was done i was like shit i should have made a good movie so <laughs> that's why i made regicide well yeah you know what sometimes the uh watching some i mean there are whole swaths of people that uh enjoy watching b movies c movies even d movies even if you if those are exist i don't know z movies there are people who really like uh who really like watching uh uh stuff fall apart and now that in the age of streaming there is uh just a whole new smorgasbord of bullshit uh that is out there to watch and enjoy um but you're right there is something very special about 80s and 90s uh b movies that almost make them good even before then hell mystery science theater made their bread and butter uh lampooning them um Definitely. so you know i get that 100 percent. sometimes it's nice to throw on something and sometimes it's nice to throw on something that's that's making fun of those movies an example for one of my favorite films would be black dynamite which is oh i love that movie it's That's like easily movie. one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life and uh and not a lot of people know about it but that the whole point of that movie was to lampoon the kind of exploitation films of the uh 70s and uh and they do a good job i haven't seen force fury um why don't you tell us what that's about so force fury i wrote that right when uh, i think trump was coming to power and I was like, you know, I don't really know if I have a lot to say about this. I know watching the extreme left and the extreme right in any any sense tends to piss me off. But watching them kind of go at each other over this uh, this president or in their policies and this and that. I was like, man, this is such a such a nightmare. So I, I decided, like, I'm just going to make a movie about kind of what I feel about it. And it's, it's kind of me uh, low-key spitting on everyone i guess uh hell yeah I, I, tried, I think the right gets it more than the left does just because it, the main character is a right wing uh guy but i find in general to be like partisan politics to be maddening so i just wanted to to stab at it uh and feel better about myself for doing so <laughs> and that was the motivation behind uh making it it, well, it's hard to watch uh, I, like now because like I've seen it so many damn times. <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know what? That sounds like uh, something that is directly up our alley because I think uh, all three of us here are pretty tired of left, right. He said, she said yeah. nonsense. Well, that's, yeah. that's the great thing about like South Park and I think why South Park's had like such longevity is that like they've always poked fun at all the sides because I think once you pick a side and start pointing at the other i think like that's when shit gets kind of like unfunny like yes. even in like stand-up like um i love david cross like david cross is fucking awesome but like in his and he's always been super liberal like he's always been left wing like mm -hmm. there's no doubt about that but he's always had a very like central stance on thing and poking fun at everyone but in like recent years he's really leaned into like the left side and it's like kind of in annoying because it's like i know he's capable of like making fun of everybody but like i don't know he's he's still a fantastic comic and a great writer but like yeah i think once you pick a side 
shit, your, your shit kind of, because you're then, like, you're negating half of the shit that you can make fun of. Like, yeah. you're just like, oh, exactly. since I'm on this side, I can't make fun of it. So then you're only making fun of 50% of shit that you can make fun of, but it's like, why wouldn't you want to make fun of everything? That's so much better. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that political comedy, like, the point of it is to point out the faults in all th- in all things. It shouldn't just be, yeah. I'm only going to make jokes at the expense of people on the right when there are things happening on the far left that are equally as, like, wild and should mm-hmm. be kind of, like, put, you know, I should put a shine on that and, and be able to make jokes about everybody. It's like Bill Burr. Bill Burr makes jokes at everybody's expense. And it's why I find him, he's just angry. And it's funny because he's just angry at yeah. everybody. And it, and it winds up working out. I relate to that guy a lot. He, uh, <laughs> when he said, like, I just don't generally like people, I understand, man. <laughs> Completely. If, if you can't take a joke because someone attacked, like, your party, you're an asshole. And you don't get it, and and fuck you is my general thoughts on politics. You have to be able to take a jab, otherwise you're so wrapped up in up your own ass, that you can't see your own flaws. And and then it's just like me versus them. And and what is the point of politics? Like we're trying to make things better and get along, and like and so on. But if you've decided I'm going to pick a side, and anyone not my side is wrong, well, fuck you. Hell yeah. Amen to that. So for force fury, what is, is the, give us a general synopsis. Cause I have not seen it. Uh, and, and se- sell me on it. I, cause I, I want to kind of want to watch it. I just didn't get a chance to Otis told me to, um, and I've just been a bit busy, but give, give the premise to the people. Uh, the, for the people, it's not worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For me, give it to really me. Not. But if, if you're bored, it's about uh, a border security agent. Uh, who's like kind of washed out and old school. Only difference is instead of like the border between the Mexico and the US, the border is like against like aliens from another planet. And uh, <laughs> and th- that's that's the premise. His partner, like very cliche, dies at the beginning because of some alien, and there's just conspiracy with the president. The whole thing's like stupid and ridiculous. Uh, but it was fun to make, and that was, I guess, the point. So. I can defend it up until there. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. Well, I guess I'll have to watch it and give a, give a, uh, give my thoughts on it on a later episode. I'll definitely check it out. Now let's get to the uh, the good stuff, the one that you decided to make after that. Um, yeah. Regicide, the one that both you and Otis worked on. Why don't you, uh, why don't you set the stage for that? Tell us what that's about and uh, and and what people should hear about it. Where to start? Um, well, what it's about um, a couple of people and their friends trying to move out of a house, and uh, because of what's around them, these like alien entity things that makes leaving very difficult. And uh, it's sort of like it being a trapped in your own house and in your own prison sort of scenario. Um, that's that's the general. Uh, where it actually started from was I need to make a movie that's a affordable. Uh, so yeah, like I have enough money to pay for it. We have to be able to shoot it quickly in like one location during a pandemic. And, and those restrictions shaped a lot of what Regicide was. Uh, so big outdoor spaces um, was, was key. Uh, people not wandering off and, and uh, mingling with others and getting sick stuff like that. Uh, 
I'm kind of rambling, but how this movie came together is such a a weird setup of of circumstance that I'm actually just really proud it turned out how it did and and how well it did with the great cast and crew that we had that I, we pulled it off. I'm 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 hesitant to tell you too much about it because otherwise like most of the plot is spoilers. I think I was going to say to that. No, nah, keep keep yeah. you keep it keep it limited. I love a good sci-fi film uh and and we've covered quite we've covered quite a few uh and uh and I've gotten kind of bits of information from Otis who worked on it. So Otis, what did you do on this film? Uh so on this one <clears throat> I was script supervisor and I, that was basically my only position unlike, you know, snow blinded where everybody was doing, you know, 20 different things at once over the course of like, you know, multiple years. Regicide was nice because, you know, I could focus on one job and, you know, do it from start to finish in what we were, what, 10 days. That was yeah, we did we a one day of rehearsals and then nine days of straight shooting and no yeah. reshoots. So with Regicide, it was nice as a script supervisor, like they actually get the script well before shooting and like get to go through it and like help like, you know, like because with Snowblinded, it was very on the go. So with Regicide, I was able to actually create like a production Bible, which I guess is a thing script supervisors do is like going through and like breaking down the script, like, you know, breaking down what characters are needed, what fucking costumes, makeup, props, et cetera, like anything that needs to be there. And so getting to do that was pretty sick. And I think that helps me understand the film a lot more. And like, you know, like there's like small details that we got to discuss, like, you know, like the, like you know, because originally it was like written as like a big moving truck that they had. And then eventually, you know, just based on like what we could get, like it ended up just being like, you know, like a trailer and like, but that's just like indie filmmaking, you know, a lot of the time it's just like, what can we actually do? Like, what can we actually afford? Yeah. Um, and that, and that was a big part of our conversation with Brian about, you know, the adapt adaptability needed uh, as indie filmmakers to kind of like make, your vision come true with what's around you and whatever challenges you face and, and, uh, and kind of putting it together. So this is a, 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 would you call it, is it a sci-fi horror film? Yeah. I, I think uh, like the more marketable term would be thriller. When you put yeah. sci-fi on something, people are like, like your audience shrinks substantially because they don't like a lot of people don't realize they actually like sci-fi films. They just, when, when they hear it, they think like, aliens and lasers and uh that's that's not the case with this one uh yeah there's like there's an alien horror element but uh it's more it's more of a like a drama thriller i guess we were going to uh show more alien stuff in the movie we had our friend uh the uh, production designer kevin like in a morph suit and we're doing test shots we're gonna try and do like a predator effect but like I just found it looked like shit, <laughs> so like, you know what? We're uh, we're just gonna not show that. What color were you more. were you doing it green? Was it like outdoor stuff? Yeah, it was outdoors. So we had like the same color they used in Predator and everything like that, kind of off red. Yeah, 
I was going to say, if it's green, that's where the problem was with the... Yeah. yeah. What we didn't realize was how much off-red was in stuff like the ground. Uh, So it works well in a jungle, but on a farm, like, it was just pulling stuff out of everything. And it was just a nightmare. So pretty early on, thankfully, before we got shooting, I I pulled that idea and kind of had to go the Jaws route of, like, showing less. I think it works, but then again, I'm pretty biased. I've watched the movie like a hundred times now. Hey man, I, I get it. I actually, just to bring back, cause we did do an episode on predator. If you love predator, check it out. Uh, anybody who's listening, but one of the things that I did learn about predator while researching that, I don't know if I brought it up in that, in that podcast, but what they, because of the red, Um, they were filming it in the time of the summer. It was like in the middle of the summer and all the leaves that were on the ground were dead. And so they had to actually Mm. cut down green leaves and greenery and bring it to cover the ground so that it wasn't screwing with the suit when they were doing ground shoots. Um, That makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, we don't live in a monochromatic world, so it's really hard to... Like if you're doing an indoor sh- indoor shot with no green, you could probably pull off just a green morph suit. But outdoors in farmland in Ontario, I can see why you would you would toss that. But sometimes more is better, less is better. Like um, I find one of the scariest kind of if we're talking about alien lurking type vibes. One of the scariest movies that I've found in that was Signs. I mean, stupid ending, but you know, like the mm-hmm. lead up to yeah. it where you're seeing like a leg in the corn or, or a shadow or, you know, up until like the, the final third of the movie or the last act, you don't see what's actually there. It's just like hands and clicking and weird noises. And, and I think that that works incredibly well. So, you know, I f- probably it worked out for you guys. I can't wait to come and see the film. So um, like I said, I'll, we'll be able to talk about it more after we've seen it. But um, uh, what were your influences? What were your influences for this film? Or is there, is there anything that you kind of drew yeah. on? Big time. Oh, like you could say drew on. I would just call it fucking ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a particular film that I watched today that I know for a fact that was the one you said. Yeah. Uh, like. Go, you go ahead. Which one were you thinking? Uh, well, I watched the very original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, like from yeah. 1956. That's yeah. what I watched. Because I remember you, you saying at the beginning of this, like, uh, in a production, is that, like, and you said this before, is like, if you just want to do something very practical that you have money that you, you know, can do in one shot. And you're like, you know, basically a body snatchers type plot is something you can do. You can do something different with it. It's a very like there's lots of body snatchers movies like it's a very Mm -hmm. formulaic thing. And that's what you wanted to do is you wanted to do something easily consumable and competently made. And like, you know, like this is kind of like the opposite of like Snow Blinded, where Brian's like he's going to make the wildest movie that he wanted to make because like, you know, that's he's going to put his fucking heart and soul into just getting that because he doesn't know if he's going to make another movie. And you're like, I want to just make a movie and show people, you know, I can make a competent movie. Yes, 100 percent. That is the case, Uh, because after Force Fury, I looked at it and was like, this is completely unmarketable. Like, I can't show people this if I'm trying to go for gigs. 
Yeah. But what I can't, what I, what I know I can do, and but at least I thought I could, and I need to prove it, which I'm doing, was like, I need to make something competent. I need to make a genre film that is something I could potentially you know, market to others and like make my money back on. So while I'm, well, most of my ideas kind of come to me in the bathtub when I'm just, there's no distractions. Because I don't, <laughs> sm- I used to come to you when I'd be out smoking constantly, but I don't smoke so much now. So I took oh, some of my favorite Smoking movies. was the greatest. Oh, yeah, man. I, smoking's the best. Uh, <laughs> I think we're all former smokers. So, like, yeah. just yeah. having a smoke and thinking is just the best. Nothing beats it. The closest I've come to is just alone, sad time in the bathtub. But yeah. <laughs> so I, I get my best. Snatchers, I get my best thinking done in the shower. I, I don't know shower, why. Yeah. I don't know why that is. I think it's because the vibration on my skull. I think that's yeah. like an actual theory that's out there somewhere. But when I'm in the in the shower, my brain is like working a little bit better. I don't know why. Anyway, continue. Sorry. Oh yeah, no worries. Uh, but something that a lot of these movies have in common, like uh, the John Carpenter's The Thing, or even the original uh, Thing from Another World, mm-hmm. and uh, Night of the Living Dead, is that um, especially those two, they take place in an isolated location. And what I knew is I didn't have a lot of money, but I was because I had sold my condo when I moved in with my fiance. I had some money, and if I have some money and I want to make a movie and I can pay people, I'm going to pay them. Our people did uh, forcery for me for free. I think everyone gets one, but after that, you got to pay. So I have a budget, and my budget meant when I calculated everything, I have about 10 days to shoot everything, to pay everyone, to feed everybody. Uh, and that's not uh, including locations. So I need a single location that I can make a movie like that, where people are trapped at a singular place, and for some reason they can't just run off to help. Uh, so that was my starting ground. And uh, through that, I just started thinking of characters like, okay, for one, like I need people to have a reason to leave. Uh, so the reason to leave is these characters are moving. So next thing I need, I need a reason for them that they cannot leave. And the reason for them not being able to leave, some sort of alien force. And that's your basis. Everything else you can kind of go wherever, any direction you want. As long as you are constrained to your location or a reason that makes sense, uh, you're kind of free. And that that was the basis of the script from then on. Huh. Well, I really like that because I find sometimes uh, when I'm watching movies, there's a uh, one of the things that, that I hate that often happens with thrillers or horror movies or any of those sort of things is the kind of like, uh, I like the fact that you're like, okay, well, there's one location. These people are trying to leave, but they can't because of this obstacle, this conflict. And um, in a lot of horror movies, they they don't start small like that. They think of like, okay, I want to do a zombie movie or, oh, in the thriller or an action film. And they have like a kind of a character that they like and then set pieces that they imagine that they want to do. Um, and I think it's obviously easier when you're like pitching to a large studio and they have millions of dollars to throw to it. But it's like, I like the fact that you started small and we're like, okay, we need one location, one force stopping them from leaving. Their reason from leaving is set and then play around within that because it probably allowed for um, kind of 
creativity to flourish, like things to happen on a smaller scale. Um, and uh, oh, yeah, you uh, you really make the most of your set in that situation because one of the first things I did with the location manager, he went around like, okay, this is our sit, this is our set, basically. So try to plan everything within here and within that limitation. You, you can get pretty creative out of out of force. It's like we don't have we don't have the option to go anywhere else. So how do we make the most out of every piece of backdrop that we have? And that's something that was taught that was talked we talked with Brian. I mean, it was a little bit different with him because they were shooting over three years and it was a, a very much a passion project and people were coming and going and the pandemic. I think that you um as Otis had said in that podcast that you guys having that 10 day period and one set place and working within it. I think that that's another, or that, that that's kind of like, um, uh, for some people it's like, uh, you know, creative smelling salts. Like it just like everything dials up to 11 because it's like, we have this much time. We have this place we have, let's look at ways we can, as you said, utilize this backdrop or things that we can work out within that setting to make it like maximize the use of it. Uh, some people work better when they have a time crunch, you know what I mean? Or they have constraints. Okay. Uh, some people are better to free form, free flow and do whatever, but uh, obviously everybody is different. So talk about the, what it was about the, what happened on set, what it was like, what was it like shooting it? Did you, did everything go smoothly? Otis, you can chime in here too. Cause you, were part of it like yeah. how what was that experience like in this set one spot and 10 days uh and shooting this this film regicide what was that like you uh to go first i am i guess uh yeah. freakish freakishly impressed of how well things went like everyone showed up knowing their shit mm-hmm. which is insanely rare i there were almost no issues we any problems that came up, we were able to get past them very quickly just because everyone was so competent. This doesn't make for good stories, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> like when, oh, yeah, everyone got along and it went well. Like, yeah, who cares? It's not interesting. But uh, yeah. like, I was a fucking stress ball the entire time. But um, I, I made it my goal to not pass that on to cast and crew. Otherwise, it would fall apart. Yeah, everybody was like that's the thing about uh I think especially indie like filmmaking crews is like it's small like I don't know we had a crew of like what like 10 or so maybe yeah. probably less and then there was like what five six actors give or take on whatever given day like most uh, like sometimes there was maybe only like three people but uh, like actors but um when you work with like a small crew like Everybody has their, like, main job. Like, you know, like, Malco's doing lights. Brian's doing camera. You know, Steve's doing sound. I'm doing, you know, script supervisor continuity stuff. But, like, you know, Kevin was doing, like, special effects, makeup and stuff. But, like, whenever, like, somebody is, like, need help, like, nobody, like, everybody was willing to, like, do something else. Like, you know, pick up slack in whatever way it was needed. And, like that was so cool to see and like i think there was maybe one time where there was like somebody you know kind of slacking and not picking up their weight and i think 
everybody noticed it immediately. Not going to say names or what they mm -hmm. did, but like when that person wasn't doing their shit and was kind mm -hmm. of, you know, being kind of bitchy about it, everyone noticed. Everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. and like, that's the thing. Like maybe on like a big crew, you can get away with like that and being kind of whatever. But like on a small crew where everybody is going so above and beyond, like, expectations like that shit that shit goes like that shit's so noticeable like yeah when you have 10 days to shoot an entire movie there is no time for bullshit it yeah. does not mean there's no time for fun you can still have fun and joke around but everyone came with the understanding that we are here to work and we're and and they did which made my job a lot easier there's a good like i got a good analogy for how it went on the last day like after we wrapped uh, the trailer hitch, um, which is in the movie, was down the road, and I was pushing it back towards the barn, and it was a lot fucking heavier than I realized. So I'm making, like, two feet an hour progress. Then someone noticed what I was doing, and they came and they helped. Another person noticed, and they came and they helped. And then another person, another person, until we were based, we were highly at the touch of the thing to get it to the, the place. Everyone saw what had to be done and did not hesitate to help. And that's why it went so well. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that you said earlier that I really appreciated um, as someone who, you know, does freelance work is that, you know, you were, you realize that to make this the best possible thing, you you're going to pick people who not only are competent in what they do and who are interested in filmmaking and, you know, who are really passionate about making movies, but also being very clear, like you will all be paid this is the amount of time that we have. This is our goal for this amount of time. And, and if we all work together, we're going to make in a fantastic product. And like Otis said, there was only one person who really was like kind of causing a, a kerfuffle at one point, but you know, it was easy to point out because you had a group of like-minded people who are, who are intent on working together and delivering the best product and being rewarded for their passion to it. You know what I mean? Like for indie filmmakers or creatives, a thing that really matters is validation. Um, whether it's verbal validation or um, being validated by your peers or, uh, you know, being acknowledged financially uh, and being acknowledged that you were chosen and because they believe that you're competent. I think that's something that is missing from a lot of like kind of creative endeavors is approaching the person that you're with and kind of not only just saying, Hey, I believe in you, but like being like, I'm giving you the responsibility to be professional and rewarding you for that and bringing you into part of the project. I feel like a lot of people don't realize how much work it is to make a movie um so a lot of it you know it's go, a lot of work and it's terrifying yeah it's absolutely terrifying and if you like like hiring like uh otis or kevin or everyone like like a lot of these people like i already knew beforehand but like for what like uh hiring otis and, and kevin these are people that like i was like oh i need a script supervisor and brian said oh otis was my script su supervisor he did a great job that's all i need to know because his, his your reputation for this sort of thing is everything. And if someone who I trust, like Brian, can vouch for someone, I don't need to think twice. Like, they're hired. 
But mm-hmm. like that, like you said before, like that one person who caused problems, I can guarantee that person will not be hired by any anyone else again. Because if they talk to any of us, like it, we're going to say what we're going to say, and mm-hmm. they're done. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's another part of it is carrying is how people carry themselves in their their uh, their professionality and their courtesy and the way that they you know their their bedside manner the way that they act I think that that's very much important I think that's something that a lot of young creatives especially in the music field uh, are they don't realize like as someone who was putting on shows before the pandemic hit I put on five shows all of them were sold out and we had a great time but the people that weren't getting invited back were the people who I had very simple rules. I said, you're going to get paid X amount for, for just performing. Cause I believe that your time has value. Yeah. And then I'm, you're going to get a percentage of what your tickets are. Ticket sales are. You have to show up before we open the doors and you have to stay until the show is over and you have to help clean up and that's it. Yeah. yeah. And like, you, it's crazy how many rappers just can't show up on time. Yeah. Like it's insane. There were people who showed up half an hour before their set who asked for guest list spots, who had forgotten their tickets at home, who didn't have people who showed up and were like, I had said no more ticket sales uh, half an hour before the door opens, who would be like, hey, can this blah, blah, blah. And you know what? For most people, if you're willing to meet me halfway, I'm willing to bend and you know it's not my rules are not final uh uh to people who are willing to put the effort in but you see so many people who just don't not only don't respect their peers but don't respect the promoter don't respect the system um but the thing is, yep. is that when you come into a profession a creative professional realm you want to f- and you really want to do something good uh there's a kind of reciprocal thing where you people come in and your peers they admire you and acknowledge you and validate you whether it is monetarily or through their words or through their actions uh and then as you said that character that you bring with you is the thing that's also gonna get get you a little bit further um because they're yeah they're definitely some of those artists where i was like well you know i don't think i'm ever gonna put you on another one of these shows again because you can't you know can't show oh, up and absolutely. fall, give the base level of courtesy. <laughs> and it, it's surprising how often it comes up where I'm wondering to myself, like, how does this person function on a day-to-day level? If they cannot follow basic instruction, <laughs> uh, basic courtesies, <laughs> stuff like that. Like from day one of uh, the rehearsal day for Regicide, I knew who I had to keep an eye on and who I didn't. <laughs> and I thankfully I had to keep an eye on basically like no one, like two people tops. Yeah. One but of them I, was Mike. Like Mike yes, is the star of, of uh Snowblinded. He is just like he's just a free spirited yeah. guy. Like he's just and I, there's the one day where he just wandered on a walk somewhere, but he yeah. ended up missing his the call time for the scene. And like we that lost was the like, only time a I half, Yeah. <laughs> Because we lost like a half hour, like cl- or closer to like an hour or, or something of like mm-hmm. film time, because he just walked away for some I don't know what he was doing, but like 
yeah, I remember. And yeah, I remember that. It was just like, dude, how you just be here. That's all you had to do is just be here. Like, yes, I, like it was that easy. And I don't know, but that's just Mike though. He's just like, he obviously like didn't mean to like, you know, oh, cause no. a problem. He Not just, he's just, he's just such a fucking weirdo that he was probably just literally in space somewhere. Yeah, yeah, well, and I mean, if that's like the only like, if there's only one or two small things, I mean, consider it as, as uh, Dan said, consider it going off incredibly well, because uh, you know there are plenty of stories, horror stories you hear of people yeah. working on films. Were there any, um, any really like, if you were, if you think back, both of you to the to the record or the filming um, of Regicide, what are some of your best memories? You know, what, what are, what are some of the things that you really loved? I, I'd like, I've never been on a film set, so I want to hear this. Like, this is really cool oh. to me. Um, I have one in particular that I loved. Um, well, firstly, uh, on the rehearsal day, I liked playing with the fake guns. That was fun. Fake oh, guns funny story. Fun. Your photo on my phone is the picture you sent me with the fake guns. <laughs> you will need the yeah. fake guns. That's your... Your uh, call, caller ID yeah. photo. Prop guns are sick. And then um, uh, the fight scene. There's a fight scene in the movie. And there's really sick choreography. And, like, we had a dude who actually does, like, jujitsu and shit. And, like, he came and choreographed the fight scene. And uh, I forget who it, who's in the fight scene. But uh, I went with one of the actors. And I went through them, like, like you know bit like basically shot for shot of what the fight scene was going to be because i wanted to know the choreography so i like for continuity so like if we could go so like i would know so like if and so as the fight scene was going on like i'd be like okay there's this part they'd have to know because like because fight scenes are so that's the first time doing a fight scene and like seeing like how hard it is to do because you have to do so many angles and like you recreating stuff and like you have to create like a certain sense of space like within the room like the fight scene takes place in a room but i feel like in the film it probably looks like a lot different than like you know how it looked obviously but like learning how to do that and learning the choreography to the point where like I felt like if I wanted to switch out with the actor, I probably could have. Like, that's Definitely. how much I learned it. Like, and yeah. just getting that in depth was pretty sick. Like, fight choreography is fucking awesome. I love that. Yeah. Hell yeah. That was cool. That was, um, we, the, what we ended up filming was different from what we first rehearsed um, off site because I didn't want anyone getting hurt. I took uh, the two actors involved in that fight and the, the fight choreographer, and we met, I think, a week or two before we started filming, like, on, on mats outside, just to go out everything so no one's getting punched in the face for real. Mm-hmm. And uh, they worked on worked on a choreography set. I said, yeah, it looks great. And then when they got to the location, I think the, uh, the choreographer kind of realized the limitations of actually having walls around. Mm-hmm. And completely re-choreographed uh, everything. And it worked. Uh, it was very impressive. And the actors just picked it up. They got into it. And by the time we were filming, it was like second nature. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's also helped that, like, 
uh, that actors are like Ashley, like she's legitimately a badass. Like yes. she is, she like not like she works. She like does like anti-terrorist stuff. I'm pretty sure. Like she could mm-hmm. fuck me up easily. And yes. like, she perfectly portrays like such a badass character in that movie. And like, it's so believable because in real life she is a badass. And like, did she ever act before? Like, yeah, actually that, that's how I, I wanted, why I tapped Ashley. Um, we were both, we both worked on a, a TV show or whatever you call it called Kitchener sink. Okay. Um, it's, I think it's on bell five TV. I never got paid for that, but I, I think she, I think she eventually did. Hmm. And in the early, like the uh, version that was released to get funding, I played her ex-boyfriend. And then the one that went to Bell, I played some sort of tech bro. I don't know. I'm a terrible actor, and casting me with a, was a mistake. But the good, <laughs> good, the good thing was I got to meet Ashley, and I got to see how good she was and she, how good of a sports she, she was. So when I had Regicide written, she was the only person I wanted to talk to first. I wanted her signed on as the lead. And I knew if we had Ashley as a lead, and we had a lot more leeway to screw up in other places. Yeah. Well, uh, I will be very interested to see this, uh, this fight scene uh, uh, on, the, on the screen, which we will, we will get to that near the end and uh, talk about where people can see it in the near future. Um, but what about you, Dan? What's some of your your crowning moments on set and through the process? Let let the world into the the joy of making regicide. The joy of making regicide, man. Uh, mo- maybe I'm saying most of filmmaking is like a fucking nightmare <laughs> of of anxiety. Um, like at least behind it, like all this planning and like when I'm putting my own money into it and. I was like, man, does my script suck? Is this like anyone gonna like this? Is like, do my decisions make sense? Is it gonna work out? Most of the time, I'm I'm feeling constant dread. So I I find it, it's hard to enjoy myself on the set because I'm paranoid of something going wrong. I'm worried about someone getting hurt. Number one, that's why I stress safety so much, and why I got so mad at Mike when he wandered off. They thought he could fall somewhere in the middle of fucking nowhere and never find him again. So that number one is just being stressed out of people being hurt. Number two is being stressed out of wasting my time and everyone else's time making something that's going to suck. Number three is not having answers for people because if you're the director, you have to have an answer for everything. You have to know everything because if you don't have the answer, production's fucked. Everyone's coming to you constantly with questions and you have to be able to answer that. So sorry, this kind of derails your question a bit, but like I, I got a lot of joy once it was finished and I saw that we accomplished and I was very proud of everyone and what we, what we all did. And, and that was amazing. But the, the filmmaking process, um, it is mostly stress. And, uh, I'm glad other, like I was able to create an environment where people were able to have fun and enjoy themselves. Most of the time, I'm just trying not to throw up. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know yeah. what? I, that's uh, as much as like you say you didn't want to derail it. I mean, that's a real point about any type of uh, any type of creative endeavor. Like, I think that there's a point where when you want people to enjoy 
the the product that you put out like i think it's different if you're if you're just you know hey let's let's uh let's paint today you know or let's let's uh let's jam you know there's yeah. a very euphor- euphoric feeling of of just kind of freedom of expectations or even freedom from uh kind of um uh, how do i want to say this of like a freedom from destination of ending like there's a there's no you're just kind of like oh it's like a hobby or whatever but when you actually are invested in the things that you create it's uh it's a nightmare like i'm i make music and writing music that you intend to show to the world and perform one day and want to put your best foot forward on everything. And I do all of the mixing and all of the mastering and everything myself. I do it all by myself in a basement. Uh, uh, you know, it, it gets kind of maddening so I can kind of, um, sympathize and empathize with that because, you know, you, are the person that is, as you said, the director, you're expected to know everything you want to create a safe space. You want to make sure everything's running on time, following schedule. And at the end of the day, you want to create a good product. I mean, I don't have a 10 day limitation to record my album, but it's very much like I'm thinking about the end product as much as I'm thinking about the process of, of writing and creating, and then also thinking engineering and mixing. And sometimes it makes me want to like go to sleep for two years. Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah. am I, am I, is this trash? Is it garbage? Is this even good? You know, like, and I'm sure Otis as a musician and a filmmaker and just uh, because I know you, I'm sure you felt the same way where you're like, is this even worth like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there is like a night where in the middle, like probably right in the midway point of production where like in the middle of the night, I just had like, I woke up and had like a fucking meltdown. Cause I felt like I'm like, I was like, I'm missing something. Like I'm missing, I don't know what, but like I was missing something and like, you know, but like luckily like you know i showed up on set and i was like stressed out but like everybody was so fucking cool and supportive that they're like nah don't worry about it dude like you're doing great everybody is doing fantastic and like the you know once you get a good team like it really is so smooth like when you have a good team and i think Dan said it at one point, like on set, he was like, yeah, most of like directing is like just making sure shit is on time. Like, and like, that's the thing is that like we had, we had a schedule, but like we very often deviated from the schedule, you know, whether it was based on like, you know, weather, like light or the sun, whatever it being, or who was on set, like, you know, if an actor, we thought an actor could leave, so we said they could go, and then we're like, ah, shit, we could have picked up this scene, but, like, when you're willing to, like, you know, follow the schedule, but not be 100% beholden to it, like, that alleviates a lot of stress, because, like, there was times where we didn't necessarily get it, what we, exactly what we wanted, but, like, okay, but, like, we can make it up tomorrow. Like tomorrow, this scene will be really easy. So, you know, we can go back and redo this or do this or yada, yada, yada. And I think when you're willing to not like, you know, you, you, you gotta have discipline and follow the schedule, but like if shit 
it's going to go better by doing it a different way, then do it a different way. And that's the adaptability that we were talking about with, uh, with Brian and well being, you know, the indie filmmaking spirit of being like, Hey, we're going to finish this and figure it out. It's like a puzzle with a bunch of different sentient pieces. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a a really tough and, and um, I mean, like, I'm sure that Dan, you were probably, uh, as you said, beside yourself at times trying to make sure that it all runs smoothly, but I'm happy to say it here that when it was done and you looked at it, you feel proud because that's what everybody, you know, that's like the ultimate thing for me. Like I've kind of realized through my making music and, and being an artist and doing stuff that like, you know, at this point now I'm just, I'm coming around the final bend of this, uh, this indie pop album that I'm writing as anxiety weekend. And I'm realizing, like, I'm looking at it all and going, I'm starting to see the pride in it, which kind of makes up for all of the the insanity that I've gone through for the past, however long trying to put it all together. Um, That's the important part, man. Like, like I'm glad that you're able to kind of feel that way towards what you're working on as well. Cause man, it's nothing worse. Like, did you real but like back when force fury when i premiered that i knew i was wasting people's time who showed up to the premiere like that was my feeling like this is a waste of time i'm fucking embarrassed for myself and everyone who trusts me uh, to make a movie even though we were making crap i just felt like the fact that people have taken their time to come here and watch this i felt like i was wasting everyone's time not the case with this movie thankfully I like to hear it, even though I'll probably watch Force Fury and have a have a riotous time by myself. Um, I'm glad to hear that, and and everything that like Otis talked about when he was actually working on it last that was last summer, right? Not getting yep. it all, but yeah, yeah, the, last August, right? Yeah, August. Yeah, didn't, didn't we go to my cottage or something before or afterwards? I feel like we did. Oh, what the hell uh, was that? We either went to the cottage right before or right after i can't remember i think i I think we went to the cottage right after yeah i think it was right after because we you were talking we were talking about it when we were up there right yeah yeah because yeah i was definitely talking to like cody and Allie a lot about it because you know they were asking a lot of questions about it and uh yeah yeah oh yeah no we went in september at the end of august that was my birthday remember that night yeah, yeah that yes. week yes uh anyway the um the uh, what uh you know i guess we're coming up on the hour mark we're 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 getting close to the hour uh so we can switch over but um where can people like i know you've got a, a streaming ne- screening next week or yeah uh on this coming sunday at um seven o'clock at the uh princess cinema the original one it's um uh, it's a donation only if you don't want to pay or don't have any cash don't worry you can just show up and watch a movie for free is that uh, so the 20 yeah it's the 26th at 7 p.m at the princess original yeah hmm. all right well is there any otis you got any questions is there anything else we want to cover i feel like we've uh... um yeah 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 i got uh one more question um like I know Brian, he's you know submitting red or snow blinded all over to a bunch of different film festivals and whatnot. Are you doing the same thing with Regicide? 
Not the same. Um, he's he, he's hitting up like a lot of festivals. Um, there's probably three or four I'll apply to, uh, but that's not what I plan on doing. What I'm taking gonna do, I'm gonna take regicide. And like I, I'm fucking old school, man. Like I know people don't go to the theater anymore, but but I, I'm hitting up indie cinemas and I'm renting them out for a few days at a time, and I'm playing the movie across Canada. If it, if it makes us money back or makes some profit, I'll start. With, I'll do the same in the United States, and I'm gonna do that for probably a year, um, and then we'll we'll talk about digital distribution uh, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'm a little see. I run a film festival, and I'm very cynical on most film festivals. I, I have a big problem with paying money for someone to watch your film, and then they take that film and screen it, and they take all the profit, and then you kind of like, what do you get out of that? Oh, someone watched your movie. Well, I'm sorry, exposure doesn't pay the bills, man. And, and yeah. that's, that's how most film festivals work, and I think it's fucking gross. Well, that it is. is- it is a weird thing and you see that in a lot of different things too like my girlfriend like she paints and does art and stuff and like a lot of like exhibition or like even just like weekend sort of like farmers market things where just to get a stand you have to like pay a a lot of money and it's like how are like how are you supposed to be like an independent artist where it's like i have to pay for to literally do anything like i've already done the work like why do i have to pay to show people like that doesn't make sense well it's i mean everything it's like being alive it costs money right now yeah (laughs) having having a thought you know (laughs) there is a serious problem on how art or or any work that people i i don't like being called an artist because it means i'm about to get it fucking exploited and i I don't recommend anyone call themselves an artist that they want to be taken seriously because people will just take from you and I have a big problem with the way music or film or media in general is marketed because the actual creators get fucked in the ass constantly. And for some reason, whoever owns the screen or the digital platform are the ones making the bucks, even though if they had nothing on it, they wouldn't make a fucking dime. Well, it's like yeah. it's like uh, we could use Spotify as a prime example or Apple Music. Like exactly. you're, you as an as an artist have to pay a yearly fee to be a part of a distribution uh, website or company and have them distribute your music onto the platform. And unless you're, you get thousands and thousands of plays, uh, you know, uh, you won't make that money back. It's, yeah. it's a net well, loss. The, well, there's the big scam in music, specifically hip hop and rap music of, people being like oh you pay us a hundred bucks we'll put your song on this playlist that has you know a hundred thousand uh likes on spotify but it's like yeah it's like nine thousand nine hundred and like 42 of those are fucking russian farm bots like they don't exist and then you pay these guys a hundred bucks 10 dudes whatever 20 dudes those do then some dudes making thousands of dollars to for you to just get plays on a song, but then nothing actually comes of it because none of it's real. Yeah, well, we've I've seen I've seen that in person where I've been at shows and people have like dudes roll up and they're like, I have like you know three hundred thousand plays on my songs, 
and then they perform and nobody knows the words nobody knows who they are yeah, that's like, like that fucking dance hall dude that Kyle brought in that one time. And, like, <laughs> dude played for, like, seven minutes. No one gave a shit about his Jamaican music. Left. And then he just dipped. Just <laughs> left. Wildest after shit seven minutes. That and was I mean, the craziest that's, thing I've ever seen. It's, again, I like that you're... T- I like the fact that you... Uh, uh, Dan, I like the point that you're making because it really is the people who are making the music are, like, as an independent musician... And I'm trying to get my music out there to people. And like, I hate to sound like I'm griping with this, but it, I guess I will air it out. Let it fly. You know, talk your shit. Um, yeah, talk your shit, son. Um, I have a real problem with all the people that, uh, you know, that feign interest. That say, oh yeah. oh yeah, like I'm so interested in what you're doing. And you're like, cool, could you like maybe check it out and tell me what you think? And they're like, oh, I just listened. It's so good. And they don't realize that, like, I can see who listens to my SoundCloud. Like, I can see that you didn't even give me the five minutes to listen to the two songs. And at, at a certain point, it's like, where do you value art? How do you, how does the general population value it? How come there are people that are being scammed to pay hundreds thousands of dollars to join playlists or if you're a painter be folk featured in a gallery somewhere um just because like with my girlfriend she just got she's a painter and she just got an email from someone saying hey we're really interested in in your artwork we think it's great we'd love to feature you in this gallery in new york and uh and then i looked into it because she was at work and i wanted to see she's like is this a scam and it turns out that this gallery approaches small this quote unquote gallery approaches small artists from around the world and asks them to pay $2,500 up to put a couple paintings in a room in New York and say that they're, yeah. And say that they are featured in New York. And also if they sell any paintings, you split the amount. This, this shit should be fucking criminal, man. Like when the pandemic happened, I hate to bring that shit up, but, like, what did everyone turn to to fucking not kill themselves? Like, music, movies, all that shit. The stuff that no one wants to fucking pay for, even though that's the stuff keeping them alive. The people yeah. actually making this stuff are the ones that are, like, suffering the most because they're the ones getting kicked to the fucking ground. This Sorry, this stuff makes me insane. Yeah, this is, it, it's, it's, it's a sore spot for me, too. Okay, wait, let's hold, let's hold this thought because we can sure. talk about it afterwards. I just wanted to ask uh, one more question about, like, the filmmaking process. And then we'll uh, we'll end end out that, and we'll go and talk about we'll continue this conversation. Um, now, in the so post production of this film, um, did you see it change a lot from your original vision, or was your original vision kind of come to life? Like when um, you were pre when you finished the kind of pre production and had a general idea, do you feel like you've right nailed it on the head and improved upon it and it's really become everything or did you find it a hard process of like kind of adapting like i know you're proud of the final product obviously but what was that kind of like going pre-production production production, and then in post-production kind of figuring out how the pieces all fit together got really lucky in the fact that we filmed like for the final runtime was longer than i wanted it to be so we had uh, fat to cut if you wanted to and anything that didn't work or was awkward or kind of weird and I could get rid of it I could cut it without sacrificing 
runtime. So in many ways, it's better than what we shot because um, I'm only one guy. And when I wrote the script, I'm kind of writing everything from how I think and speak about the world. And sometimes the words that I put on paper don't come out of other people's mouths uh, very cleanly, even when you alter it. And when we're on set and we're filming some certain scene here or there, I'm like, ah, fuck, this isn't working. And often we can find a way around it, but some some things I was like, no, this, this is just bad writing. This is on me. And thankfully, we were able to get rid of those without any problems. Uh, so in that sense, I'm really happy. Uh, the biggest difference is from what was originally written, um, which I don't know if was ever sent out to cast and crew, and I only took it out uh, to with the location manager. And that's where most of the changes happened, where I could see the physical space and what I had planned out. And think because I've been a co camera operator for years as well, uh, and an editor as well, I could see where the problems were and get them get ahead of them beforehand. So in terms of how much has changed, surprisingly little, but what is cut out of the final uh, worked for the best. Huh. So in the end, it just kind of seems like it was uh, it, it worked out really well. Everything kind of just seemed to fall into place. Well, I'd love to hear it. I'd yeah. love to hear it. I mean, I don't expect to have this kind of luck ever again, so I'm going to enjoy it while I got it, I guess. Hell yeah. And I mean, it, it, it. you might as well. Sometimes these things just happen, and you wind up falling into uh, into uh, a groove, and things just work out. I love, I'm glad that it wasn't too much of a huge change, and anything that did change worked really well, because sometimes you hear stories of, you know, what their vision was before and what, the, what it came out to be, and it's very dishear it's almost disheartening, and you know, I'm oh, glad man, it really there was worked. another. Oh, you're, you're you're spot on. There was another movie filming uh, a month before ours, another local film, which I didn't know about until we were filming Regicide, and that movie fell to pieces uh, because they had two owners or like two directors, and like ninety percent of the way through their film, it fell apart and they hate each other and they're still, as far as I know, in litigation about who owns the movie and it's not even uh... done. Is that the one where the one dude basically just locked himself in the fucking hotel room and like basically random crew members basically just started stepping up to essentially That's direct the, one, yeah. the movie? Okay, yeah, I, I remember that one being because uh, some people were That's working Hollywood on that, right? Shit. Like, yeah, and, and like, like man, like, that happens so easily if you got the wrong people with you. And, like, think of that. Like, that's an indie, like, a Canadian indie film that no one's ever going to see, most likely. Mm -hmm. Like, ever. Like, and, like, like, I don't know. I just, like, can't imagine putting money, like, to it's at least make them, like, to make even, like, the shittiest indie film. Like, it costs, like, still at least a couple thousand dollars, even if it's the shittiest shit ever shat it's yeah. still going to cost a couple thousand dollars. Like, and like, I can't imagine going into something being like, this is good. And then just letting it consume you and like fall apart like that bad. Like, obviously we don't not going to like go into that film in details, but like yeah. hearing the details, like I've, yeah, like in that, if I was in that situation, I'd be like, I would have fucking shot myself in the fucking head. Like, Oh yeah. It absolutely. sucks. <laughs> like, like you put that much work into, into something like a dream project like that and just have it explode in your face and with everyone yeah. around you be fucking mortified mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm glad it didn't happen with you guys. You guys can catch Regicide at the old Princess Cinema this Sunday, the 26th of June. It's pay what you can. Uh, I believe Otis and I will be there. Otis, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll be we'll, there. We'll be there. Sure. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the final product. And uh, anything else you want to plug before we get into our random chatter uh, section, Dan? No, nah, man, not at all. You think we covered it. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, then let's get into the bullshit. Um, so, yeah, no, I definitely feel like uh, society is in a really weird place where, uh, you know, artists are not valued uh, and their art isn't valued. It's it's all become kind of commodified in a way that I, I really do have issues with. And I also feel like the kind of uh, economic systemification, if that's a word, of of and the kind of capitalistic structures put on the sale of art and the way art is kind of promoted and stuff like that is insane. The fact that to get even with algorithms and shit with music, like you get more, you you get more views if people listen to you. The algorithm doesn't favor new artists that don't get a lot of plays. You only yeah. get famous if you have enough people listening to you online enough plays even if they're not real or not like if you buy a thousand plays for your song you'll probably wind up with three thousand plays because you were put on a spotify algorithm or a soundcloud playlist or whatever and the fact that 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 that's the system is insane well look fucking lil Nas x the whole reason his shit popped off is because he found out the most searched words on soundcloud and that's what he made his name was Lil Nas X because a lot of rappers have Lil and X and Nas being, you know, a legendary rapper. He figured he basically, he just fucking, you know, he warfare the system. The <laughs> he just, he just, yeah, he fucking found the source code and was just like, boom, I'm just going to fucking do it. And like, that's the thing. I've like, there's even YouTube people who just, with just with just the right title and fucking thumbnail image on YouTube, you can get millions of views and you could make a 10-minute video about fucking nothing. Yeah. But you've just have found a way to fit your video yeah. into whatever algorithm, into whatever playlist, and you just get the dumbest people that consume it, but like they're consuming nothing like it's yeah it's, it's like the, nothingness it's, it's the antithesis of art if you are fo- crafting what your message or your everything you want to share with the world around how likely likely it is you're gonna be picked up by a fucking computer that is not art that's fucking crazy yeah it's, it's like, a product i'm gonna make good stuff based on oh i'm gonna just gonna do this bullshit because the computer will like me and force it down people's throats what the fuck is that our standard for making art now? Yeah, it's it's weird too because you're seeing the the uh the um negative effects of that on like originality and creativity now. Like it's like every even with movies and st- I mean with movies luckily it's changing a little bit because of this Hollywood system is kind of being dismantled or reformed in a different way because of streaming services and stuff. But like for a long time, it was like, okay, we have a system that works and we're going to stick two stars in this directed by this about this prescient or uh, generally testing well genre. And uh, we're going to draw from this movie and this movie and this movie. Uh, and then boom, here's a package. We're going to sell it. 
Um, which didn't mean that some of the ideas weren't original, but you, you know, there was, and I mean, even now it's happening with like the MCU and the Disneyfication of things. And that's a whole other conversation about stuff. But like with music, you see all of these artists, these labels pushing these artists to look a certain way. And then when they put out an album that doesn't necessarily, uh, go with the way that they did things before or the way that they've been kind of shown to the world, people get mad at it and say it's immediately like trash, 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 trash. Uh, and no, I'm not talking about the Drake album, but I'm just saying like in general, I'm seeing this thing where it's like you kind of got to copy what's hot and good and you have to play the system and you have to get the plays and you have to look the part and you have to do this, that, and the other thing when like originally rock and roll and rock stars were like appealing because they were counterculture. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like they've sucked all of these things up and built in a machine the way that it's, they think it will sell the best. And, uh, and you have to pay to play in that system. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in your art. I'm a person who believes fully you should buy good gear. You should pay for a good computer. You should invest in merch. You should do the things like, for example, with Dan, with you, I'm going to pay my crew and I'm going to put my own money into this film. And because it t- t- takes, you know, it costs money to make something quality. But, um, but I don't think you should be paying to be hung in an art gallery or paying to have your film put into a film festival or paying for plays so that some algorithm on the computer will pluck you up and then you'll be taken to a, a, a um, label and the label will say, oh, you know, we like your song, make five more exactly the same and dress this way and do this. It's like that Letterman thing with that Billie Eilish Otis and I have talked about it, but like the overproduction of, of her music to the point where you realize she's not a musician anymore. She's a brand, you know, nothing can be put off of her. And I'm sure she has some artistic say, Billie Eilish is obviously very talented, uh, uh, singer songwriter with her brother and all that stuff. But like, you know, you realize the kind of industrification and the click clickbaity nature of the way art is going. And then the fact that they don't really Mm -hmm. respect the creators. It just makes me upset. I feel like we live in a weird time. I'm not sure which is worse, music or film, to be a creator in. They're both pretty fucking sad. I've got one crossover. When I was, uh, I had a client when I ran my own business called Big Music Fest. Do you guys remember them? Yes, I Uh, do. Yes. Yeah, we had that. Aerosmith in Kitchener. And we had yeah, I was, oh, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, there. Okay, I yeah. worked actually. I was working at the second one when they had Soundgarden. He was like, I was around. working too. Yeah. Uh, the uh, so the promoter of that one, yeah, the promoter of that owes me a lot of money. I'll never get it. Uh, <laughs> but the the winner from uh, the they did like a, a breaking band sort of like a band competition for the beginning of the first year before like the other like bigger names came on and one of uh, the things i was tasked to do was to make a documentary for below living wage like uh amount of money to be paid he's like i'll give you five thousand dollars to make a documentary by yourself like cool that covers like some food for me and that's it yeah which is strange because like in documentary filmmaking a lot of like the cost is just covering your living expense while you make the movie yeah, 
but this is this is the kind of guy who ran this. Yeah. So like I'll let that go. But this the fucked up part was was following the bands after they won this competition. And man, they were so thrilled. They thought their lives were gonna change. Finally made it. They're on the same stage that Aerosmith is playing. They're gonna be the next big thing. And then following their process to eventually dissolving, because it was all about the show, about look at this band that we've turned into something. And then the lights came off and people walked away from them. And they just, their lives were fucking ruined. They were promised everything, but they were only useful as a puppet to sell something else. And then it was gone. And And that's the documentary. That's, That's what the crazy. documentary should be. It should be, but man, I was so depressed because I got to know these people like through the whole thing. Yeah. Where I couldn't finish it. And most of the footage was just them being fucking sad. Like we would do these interviews and we like I was in their van, like we traveled all the way uh almost to Vancouver and a bit past uh Calgary and they had to turn around because they were said, Hey, don't go to your Vancouver show, come back to Toronto doing a big concert you guys are gonna win this one for sure so they canceled the rest of their their crappy tour which was like just the fucking worst like whoever was in charge of that wasn't them really let them down and they drove all the way back to toronto they played the show like oh hey thanks for coming out you didn't win and at that point they were just like we're done like it broke them and it's any families like they were trying trying to hold on to, like if they wanted to keep them, they had to walk away from music. It's tough, man. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing because it's like on many hands there's access to to kind of like resources and and kind of logistics and statistics and stuff that being an independent artist doesn't give you. It also opens a lot of doors to things. But people don't realize how much like being a signed flagship artist or even being an artist who signed and then shelved is like probably mentally debilitating and emotionally scarring. And like imagine being so you get signed like I always talk about mm, there's a uh, artist. I love McConan. And we had that song club going up. On a Tuesday, it was like a couple of years ago, like 2012, 2013. It was really big in parties, and he got signed to OVO. Drake signed him. And Drake hopped on the remix, and uh, and then he was getting a lot of buzz. So then Drake was like, okay, you have to make this album, and the OVO staff will tell you what will go on the album and what won't. And the album came out, and it was garbage, hot garbage, because nobody could figure out what he wanted, but he knew. And then he wound up being put into the OVO songwriting camp uh, and didn't get any other releases on OVO. He just helped with songwriting or whatever, totally crushed and demoralized him. And then he got out of it and just kind of like floated around in a state of depression for a while. And now he's back making music and doing stuff, but, you know, climbing back up to where you were when you had Drake on your song and you were played in the club all the time. Yeah. Only to be like mismanaged and then shoved in a corner, and then Kanye West has done that with at least five. People. So I many people, and GLC, it's, Consequence, Zai High, Designer. He signed Designer so he could put Panda on Life of Pablo, and then 
and then was like, yeah, make whatever you want. And they mismanaged him and it just didn't work. First album came out, people didn't like it and they didn't let him release anything else until he got out. He had to spend pretty much all of his money to get out of the deal. It's it's oh, just all that money I made from that stupid panda 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 song. I had to spend to not have to be made not, forced to make that shitty song again. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't even that. It was that he was made. He would just wasn't allowed to release. If you sign to a label, you're not allowed to. If they say you can't put music out under your under as yourself. Yeah. Or at all. They just keep you there and they're like, yeah, well, we'll tap you if we need you and need you for anything. And then you just sit around. And like, imagine if that's your kid growing up and you want to do that. You know, like, I want to be a musician. I want to be a musician. You get signed, you get, you have a viral song, you get signed. And then all of a sudden you're in the big leagues, getting your toes sucked by beautiful women. And then the next day the door is being shut. And then they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, don't write anything. Don't do anything. You can't talk to the public your first album didn't do the way we wanted it to do. It wasn't all the same exact same songs. Uh, they all didn't do big numbers, blah, blah, blah. So we're just going to keep you for a while until it's, until it's time. But that time never really comes. It's a weird system, man. The, the way that art yeah. is handled these days is very bizarre because I'm also very proud of independent artists and independent people who take in independent art and support independent art and independent filmmakers, independent uh, uh, writers and stuff like like there's I I do believe that art thrives no matter what but um like the system in place specifically for music and I assume probably for film I don't know but being told that you have to pay to be on festivals and apply and then and then yeah. hope that someone likes it enough to maybe be like hey we could work you know I I, I won't play it I refuse at this point especially. It's not like distributors are like, oh, I'm going to get you a great uh, DVD and Blu-ray deal. Who the fuck buys DVDs and Blu-rays besides, like, me and two other people I know? Nobody. Yeah. Like, I buy majority of my shit used, so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, everyone's going to the same uh, markets. Uh, Netflix, Amazon, Tubi, whatever. Now, you can apply to stuff like Tubi or Amazon yourself, or you can go through an aggregator, which is what I did with Force Fury. Netflix, forget it. They're not going to take you unless you're a multi-million dollar project with a name, and even then, probably not. They've changed so much. They're not who they were when they started. Amen, brother. Amen. If you had your goals on like, oh, I'm going to break through and be featured on Netflix, sorry. Fuck, man. Even if Netflix picked you up, you turn on that program and you know your title's there you're not going to see it because it's going to be buried at least in like hell even 10 years ago if you went to a video store or whenever they were still going around or even walmart you could buy a movie your movie would be next to like a warner brothers movie you had the same same shelf space mm-hmm. the same opportunity to be seen on streaming that's not the case anymore it's gone the same way as music if you're not Owned, if you're not in the interest of who people are paying these these online uh, hosting services, if you're not paying them directly, have big bucks, no one's going to fucking look at you. And you have to put the legwork in yourself. You can go to as many festivals as you want and pay money for just people to give you the time of day. But I say, no, fuck you. I'm not doing that. Here's a, what I want. Or here's what I got. You want to watch it? Great. You can pay for it. But I'm not paying people to see my art. That's fucked up. And I, I 
would love if more people got on board with that because unless people do, it's not going to go away. Yeah. And you know what? I'll through all of this, uh, talking about all this, I do want to say all three of us are creatives. If you're listening to this and uh, we all appreciate everybody who listens to anything or watches anything we make, we're, our gripes are with a larger system and we yes. encourage everybody who is creative to, to continue to create. I just wanted to say that and put that out there because we've been bitching and moaning about you know, the uphill battle of being an independent artist, but I don't make my music because I want to get famous. I make my music because I like making music. And of course I would Thank like people. God, to, man. I, I would like the reason to do it. Yeah. And I would like people to hear it. I would like people to acknowledge it. Maybe help me toss me some shekels, help me live, you know, throw me some plays. But even if I drop this album and I get no plays, I'm still going to be making another song, you know, yes. a couple, well, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. So if you, I want, I'm just wanted to make sure that I'm putting some positivity out there and I wanted to sh sell or just see what you guys think of this theory of mine, because you brought up Netflix. I think when Netflix started changing was when they disabled VPNs. Now, the reason why I think that it started changing wasn't the act of disabling VPNs in itself. It was the fact that I have a theory that certain VPN companies kick back to Netflix to be allowed in through a back door, which is why there are certain VPN companies whose major selling point is we still work on Netflix and other streaming sites because I believe that they pay a percentage to Netflix. And I think at that moment was the time when Netflix realized, hey, there's other ways to up our quarterly percentages. I'd say yeah. that's not even a conspiracy theory because just how corrupt these things work, I'd say that's most likely true. Yeah. I remember saying the same thing to you, Joe, too. When you said that, I was, when you told me that, like, you told, mentioned that to me a year or two ago at least. And I was like, yeah, if they're not doing that, that would be dumb. Like, for them to not be in bed with VPN companies. But then, there's also like the thing of that I remember like, you know, six, seven years ago using VPNs because all the Disney and Pixar shit was in Netflix Brazil. But now like a lot of the things that you wanted to stream on Netflix in different countries, they're all licensed to different streaming fucking networks now. Like every, every fucking channel and, uh, you know, studio has their own thing. Like Netflix, like everything on Netflix now has the N in the top, right? Because it's all Netflix original and 80% of it is shit that I'm never going to watch. <laughs> and the shit that I actually want to watch on Netflix is so buried beneath other bullshit. Like, why are you still showing me Orange is the New Black? I watched that show already. I stopped giving a fuck about it. Stop showing it to me. Like, why? Like, the I don't give a fuck. Why do I literally have to type in Chris DiStefano's entire name, a great stand-up comedian, to find his brand new special on Netflix? Why is that not already on my front page? Because I've designed my algorithm to show me this shit, but they're burying their own shit. Like... That's yeah, like exactly. the dance. No they're sense. not being paid. Like they're not paying into it. And, yeah. and like this is absolutely the case. You can have like the best movie in the world 
on on Netflix, but if you're not paying them to promote you, no one will ever see it unless they know it's there and to look for it. Yeah. It's a it's a weird pay to play system thing that we got going on that I I think is uh yeah, it's a, it's a it's got to change. There's got to be something that changed. Now, speaking of of streaming services, and let's just be the hypocrites that we are. Um anybody watching anything good? Anybody enjoy anything lately? Any music, any uh any any uh film, TV, video games? Uh, I just rediscovered the band CKY, and I haven't listened to them since I was in high school. Hell and yeah. Can't kill yourself. I, I remind like, oh yeah, these guys were friends with like the Jackass crew, and I still haven't seen like the last like two movies. But... Yeah, the member, one of the members of CKY is Bam Margera's brother. Okay, that's the connection. Yeah, Jesse Margera. And uh, Bam Margera is uh, loose. I think he, he went He's AWOL loose. recently. He literally, he literally uh, <laughs> broke out of like a psychiatric hospital. Oh, he did? I thought he oh, just shit. got released. <laughs> I thought you were just saying he like got released and he was loose upon the population, but he actually broke out? I, I think so. I think so. I, I could have be, been misinterpreting something that I read online, but I'm pretty sure... He, uh, yeah, was not permitted to leave, and he dipped out. So, yeah, that that's a tragic guy. Like, his life is very sad. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I shouldn't laugh saying he's loose upon the population because that's kind of belittling his tragedy. He's, However, he's, the new Jackass movie was pretty good, actually. I Jackass enjoyed it, forever. too. Yeah, I enjoyed it, like, too. The new cast, like, I thought I was going to hate it because they had younger people in it but i like i actually dug it the fact that knoxville does the shit that he does like i i'll be i'll be legitimately sad the day johnny knoxville dies of deteriorate brain damage like that dude cte is going to get the better of him in probably three years so oh he did an interview he way too old for this yeah he I did know. an interview yeah. recently where he talked about like after they had filmed it like he was like super depressed because he had like a brain injury and he had to like yeah. relearn to do stuff. And I'm like, all right, Johnny, it's time for you to sit down. Yeah. Like, dude, cause yeah, if they keep going, he's going to end up kiss Chris Benoit, the fucking jackass crew. <laughs> and shit. no one wants that. Holy Nobody shit. needs that. Um, well, yes, I agree. Um, uh, the, uh i've been enjoying what have, what have i watched i don't know let's what have i i'm trying to think of of what i recently watched i've just been watching a lot of ghost adventures because like i don't know it's it's easy to put on in the background and i I love those those middle-aged men running around in the dark <laughs> um <laughs> But I, I, uh, I, th I just think it's so funny. Like, even if like, I don't know, even if 1% of what they got is true, like it's kind of spooky, but like, I just love like the way that it's edited and stuff. Like they've refined their style over the years to the point where it's just so egregious. It's funny. Um, but like, you know, whatever. Uh, I started watching, uh, Dr. Strange two today. And so far, uh, Ooh. I'm cause it's I'm now going to watch that right after we're done. Recording. Yeah. It's out on, it's I out on uh, Disney plus now today. Um, so I started watching it. I'm about halfway through 
And uh, so far, it's very rainy. Uh, there's a lot of like very, very like it's all. He did a lot of things that he did in uh, in in with Spider-Man one and two uh, and three. Although people don't really talk about the third one, um, there's a lot of really cool ideas in it so far. And 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 so far, I'm enjoying it. I have some issues I have with pacing, but I'm finding that with a lot of the Marvel stuff that's being put out post Infinity War, that there's uh, some real. Uh, uh, they're trying to do a little bit too much in the pacing and story suffers here and there, but so far so good. I guess we'll talk about it when it's out. I just want to remind people that it's out. Um, Otis, what are you, what are you uh, listening uh, to? Watching? I watched this movie on shutter. It's called mad God. It's a it's like cool oh experimental stop motion animation. Uh, film that like took like decades to make by Phil Tippett. He did a bunch of he's done like a bunch of special effects and like practical effects stuff. He's one of the main dinosaur designers from Jurassic Park. So that's my selling point to you, Joe. Oh, I already uh, know about Mad God. I, I want to watch uh, it. Was it sick? Yeah, it's sick. It's sick as fuck. Um, it's also kind of tight because you know since I'm going through my big fallout phase again. I'm very much into the sort of post-apocalyptic world building and mutants and monsters. And this movie has all of that. And the animation is so good. And the sound design and score is also like, it was just really good. Like I'm, I was just really stoked. And there's just the way they blend a lot of multimedia stuff. Like there's a mixture of like live action, animation, multiple different types of animation and stuff like that. I like, I love seeing that shit. I love seeing, uh, when, you know, when people do experimental animation, uh, it's, I feel like it's very underappreciated, which in the same line of also on Netflix, there's a anthology movie called the house or house or something, which is like three different, stop motion animated shorts put together i watched that recently that was cool um this on uh mad gods on shutter house at or the house that's on netflix and then oh after watching snow blinded i decided i had a really big heart on to go watch more sort of like body horror stuff so I watched the movie Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, wicked. Because uh, we are also doing our Japanese film month. So that movie's fucking insane. I've never seen that movie. In Have you seen that movie, Dan? Yeah, I've seen the original and I started watching the sequel, at least one sequel that I'm aware of, uh, by accident. It was on Shutter, like Shutter TV, and mm -hmm. it just came on. And uh, nice. I wish it was more sober when I watched the second one. I'm going to have to watch it again. But the first one is like essential crazy shit watching. You, you watch uh, uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man and you can see where stuff like Meatball Meat Machine or Tokyo Gore Police sort of came like came from. They're not the same like gore type movies, but you can see where that that seed planted kind of inspired all that kind of wild stuff that I love. Absolutely, absolutely love that stuff. Yeah, like, the editing and pacing of that movie is absolutely insane. Like, it's a fucking madman's dream. Like, yes. and also just the, like, the practical effects. Like, all of the, 
like machinery looking stuff in it is so cool. Yeah, that that was a cool movie to watch. Yeah, I've been sort of like also just on a big indie sort of film too because like I watched The Florida Project and God, that movie is so awesome. We talked about that is movie that, with Brian. Is but... the one that takes place in like um, a hotel? Like a motel? Yeah, it takes place in like a motel that where, yeah, yeah, it follows the kids like where they live just outside of like the Orlando Disney World and yeah, fuck, I man. It. I don't yeah. know. Sean Baker, the way he captures like sort of like poverty and like the sort of like um the way he captures characters that live in poverty but are sort of living their life in sort of like a dissolution that they don't like they're characters yeah. that don't realize how shitty their lives are I, like, I refer I refer to it as uh is kind of like an emotional surreality like it's like yeah it's it's real but it's like a dream likes it's like a dreamlike interpretation of harsh reality while not mm. like losing the reality of it like you watch his movies and you're like wow these people's lives suck but then you also it also kind of feels like a lucid dream of these people's life. like it's really weird but really yeah. good stuff mm. like i really love the kind of tonality that he can draw from very kind of character driven stories on all of them are about kind of poverty or um kind of well, his last three movies have all been about sex workers so yeah like, tangerine like, so yeah red rocket you can take take like people in that desperate situation and still kind of root for the characters uh and like want to see them succeed despite their obvious flaws like man that is some mastery filmmaking oh hell yeah hell yeah yeah like i love like i think that's my favorite movie is like just movies about the worst people like my my favorite filmmaker of all times paul thomas anderson and i think he is the master of that like the movie magnolia is a big sprawling three-hour sad fest about the shittiest people ever in various (laughs) different points of life and you at times like that movie like i have emotional reactions to that movie even though like I hate majority of the characters in that movie. Like there are very few that you actually even sympathize with. And, but like when you as a filmmaker can do that, like that is so, that's just so amazing. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't really it's have inspiring, a, man. Yeah. When you see something like that and you're just like, man, I, I just wish I could be like a fraction as talented as that person. And it keeps it makes you it makes you want to be better and, and try harder. I it's it's inspiring. It's it's there's some some things you see, especially as people who are interested in film, that um I think a lot of the funny thing is that when once you kind of understand filmmaking, you understand the kind of the process of it and the and and you understand kind of theories of it you understand generic conventions and what people like the subtext that people are trying to trying to you know bring out or the subversions of stuff you you see things in a different way but there's one thing that i feel like people who understand movies and don't understand is when you see something really good even if you don't know why it's good it's still inspiring because i know a lot of people mm-hmm. who don't understand exactly what kind of the theoretical 
uh, aspect of what some filmmakers are trying to do or reasons why they like. They can't really say why they like it, but they know it's good. And Sean Baker is one of the people where it's like everybody I know who's seen his films, they are like, we don't, we, I wind up talking to them about it. Like Tangerine's all filmed on an iPhone, right? Yeah. Like to create immediacy. And there was very, a lot of like Im- improvisation and things like that. Like it was, and people can kind of grasp onto that, but they don't understand why. And like, they don't understand concepts of immediacy and all those things. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, there's this kind of thing where you see something, and you're just like, damn, this is inspiring even if you don't understand how they do it. I think that's with all art, though, I guess. Because a painter would look at a painting and go, wow, look at the brush strokes, and someone else would be like, damn, this painting, fire, you know? So Yeah. <laughs> well, like, we, we talked about the weeks, months ago, with, like, the Bourne movies and how, like, their action, like, the way the camera work, like, moves with, literally is right next to the action moving with it, like, that completely changed how people do action sequences because people saw that for the first time. We're like, wow, that's fucking different. Why is that different? Like, why is that so sick? Why is that the greatest fight scene ever? And then, you know, now every fight scene is built like that. That yes. But I mean, that's, and that's again, people probably watching it, but like people, sorry, to finish the thought is that like, that's why like viewers don't really didn't realize that like they're just like oh that's different but they can't pinpoint what it was whereas like we're a little bit more in tune you know like me and joe have went to film school and stuff dan makes fucking movies and so that's something we can tap into but like other people are like oh i would never do that like with tangerine most people would never know that it was filmed on an iphone other than you know that was that was sort of the main selling point of the movie yeah, but a but lot of like, people didn't even don't even know that that movie exists. I mean, now they're yeah. probably going back and watching it because Red Rocket is doing so well. But all of his, I mean, the Florida mm-hmm. Project's incredible, like incredible stuff. And we talked about oh, yeah. it with Brian. But anyway, yeah. I wanted to uh, mention that uh, uh, you know how they changed the tiers for the the PS PlayStation PSN thing. How you yeah. get like the regular and then the extra and the premium. So I decided mm-hmm. to just give give the pre or the extra the middle one a try, and uh, they got some good games that are in the extra uh, library. They've got some PS5 games. They got um, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. They've got the Death Stranding Director's Cut. They've got yeah. um, a couple other ones that are pretty good. So I'm I'm starting my journey of being a Amazon delivery driver in the apocalypse with a baby. Right. Um, I'm going to try that. Nice. Try Death Stranding. I also have started. Uh, playing Kingdom Come Deliverance, which is an RPG game, kind of like Skyrim, or um, in the same in the same vein, except there's no magic. It's just you're just like a peasant guy who becomes a knight, uh, and it's really hard. It's obnoxiously hard. It's hard as fuck. I, mean, I think I've heard of this one. This sounds. It's actually like a lot of fun. Like it, if you can get past the uh, torture of being bad at it for a long time to your character. Yeah. Is that right? It's yeah. it's like it starts out and firstly it pulls a a, a Scorsese uh the departed where there's like a whole start of the game where it like you do this there's like multiple missions, it's like an extended tutorial, but they don't they never like and then pre- after three hours shipping up the Boston place, yeah, the yeah. after like <laughs> you get to a certain point and then this the, I, I don't wanna 
I don't want to ruin this. Well, I guess it's the intro. So it's kind of the, 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 the blurb, the summary of the game, but you start as this character who lives in this town. He's the son of a blacksmith. It's like, you know, you're, it's just normal living life. You have to go get some money for the, your, someone owes your dad and you have to, there's this girl you like and you talk to her and your friends ask you to go and do some, play some pranks on someone and whatever. And you have to choose whether or not it's like kind of setting up this world where there's like consequences and the thing, you know, you talk to people and then all of a sudden this army shows up and just literally murders everyone. And then, and then after that, you have to run away and get to another town, you get to another town. And then there's a bunch of missions at that town where you're kind of, they're, they're setting things up. And then you go back to the city to bury your parents who were murdered in front of you. And you get jumped by these like bandits who are big and scary and they just beat your ass. And then the intro starts. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. It's like it a was, movie before a game. Yeah. It was like, so, it was like, it like gives two, you hope like the game's going to be like this and then it takes it all away from you. No, I mean, it <laughs> is, you start you start again in another town and then you work your way up and you gain people's respect and you learn different skills and all stuff, but there's no magic or anything. It's literally just like, Hey, you have to like, you just make choices and do things and committing crime really hard. You have to get really good at it before you do it. How do I know? I tried to take pick pocket pocket people a couple of times wound up in jail. Not, not as easy as you think it is. And so, but the, the game doesn't really offer any, the, the guidance is hard to find and the system, uh. the UI is kind of complicated at start, mm-hmm. but once you figure it out, I've been having so much fun. I mean, yes, there've been times where I've kind of been like, fuck this and turned it off because it's really hard, but the rewarding aspect of it and the story and the world and the immersiveness of it is really, really fun. And so like, I'm, I feel like you're like, after this game, I think you might be ready to play like dark souls or Elden Ring. I think that may be your next step. I I Elden Ring is on the docket. I want to finish I want to pl- finish this. I'm almost done uh finally almost done um Ghost of Shima and also in the extra pass is the Ghost of Shima t- PS5 director's cut. So I'm going nice. to delete the disc version I have and download the director's cut so I can do the Iki Isle and Island and all that. Yeah. Stuff. The, uh, the DLC for that game is actually really sick. The Iki Island mission. So the whole game is, really is cool. worth playing. I've heard a lot about that. Oh, it looks beautiful. It's incredible. It's, it's one of, we did an episode on it. If you haven't, if you don't Wait, know anything. Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah. Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah. Or yeah, it's yeah, incredible. Awesome. Incredible. It's one of, we did a whole episode on it and pretty much it was us talking about how it, though it doesn't reinvent the wheel, it takes a bunch of different things from different games, put it to, puts it together in this setting with a story that's just so killer and it's so fun. And like the play gameplay yeah. is really good. The whole thing about it is great. And they had brought out the director's cut with extra stuff and the DLC and uh, you can get the PS5 and PS4 versions on um the ps and extra whatever the middle tier of the psn extra plus extra whatever and uh also they have red dead redemption 2 now there that you can download there's a bunch of games it's really sick so i'm i'm probably going to keep it because for five dollars extra a month i can run through a bunch of games that i'd be meaning to buy and play so if there's stuff that you're lacking on go check out the 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 collection and read through uh, if you play PlayStation, there's stuff you want to play. It's only $5 difference between 
the thirteen ninety nine yeah. regular PSN and the seventeen ninety nine, and you can get like multiple games and play through them for nothing, and they will never yeah. get taken out of the catalog. So like, I don't know. I think it's kind of sick. Yeah, it's essentially if you have Xbox, it's essentially the equivalent of Xbox's Game Pass, where you get a bunch of games for free for like a subscription of whatever. Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, 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 but blah, I, I, I was. I was hesitant on it at first, but then I saw some of the stuff they had and I was like, okay, over the course of four months or five months, it's what, $25. That's like, like a third of the cost of one of those games, like the PS five games that I want to play. So I was like, you know what? Yeah. Slap it on there. I can play, uh, um, Amazon, um, Hideo Kojima's Amazon simulator (laughs) and uh and a couple of the other ones that are on there that are pretty sick um but yeah Kingdom Come Deliverance it's also on PC uh and it was a game that had a lot of problems when it launched because it's the first game from this development studio and uh but so far it's annoying the combat system takes a lot to learn but the reward, it's really rewarding. And if you like medieval sword and sandal shit without the uh, ooey-wooey dark sorcerer, you know, that kind of stuff, you might really enjoy that game because it's, uh, you know, if you like RPGs, first-person RPGs, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I guess we're co- we're coming up to the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I will get to Elden Ring, Otis. I will. And when we when yeah. we do, when I get to it and I've played it for a bit, we will finally do an Elden Ring episode and chat about it. Um, the last thing, I don't know. I, I mean, I know Otis, you don't give an absolute care about, uh, Drizzy Drake from Toronto. No, I, I, I don't No, I he really, doesn't I really do not. Yeah. In any capacity. No, but he did drop an album suddenly and, uh, it is not a, um, it is not a hip hop album per se. Uh, he says it's a dance album on, on Apple music. I wouldn't really necessarily call it an, a dance album. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but the internet has a lot of opinions about it and people are going back and forth and it's causing a lot of hate. Uh, I think that some of the mixing is atrocious and there's some, some really kind of repetitive and boring stuff in it, but I will say I'm glad Drake's doing something different because CLB was pretty trash. And uh, and I actually like a decent number of the songs on the album, but I also like electronic dance music. So, well, I guess it's not EDM; it's house music and Detroit electronica and what. Anyway, but uh, I thought it was cool that he did something different. And whether or not uh, you know you enjoy it or whatever, if you're looking for something different from the boy, the Six God, maybe check it out. If you were disappointed in CLB, I don't know. I don't. You know. don't listen to Drake, do you, Dan? You fuck no. You yeah, don't I listen figured... to really hip hop, really, do you? I I don't. Um, I think I my brain got stuck like in two thousand one or so and hasn't really advanced beyond then. Nice. Oh, that's I just felt the need to talk about it because you know, we 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 are we do speak on hip hop and stuff like that. I'm not gonna say any spicy topics on it or opinions on it because I don't really give a shit whether people listen to it or like right. it or not. I listened to it the first time and I was like yeah, this is pretty bad. I think they updated a couple of the mixes and I listened to it again and I was like having a drink sitting in the backyard and I was just kind of chilling. And I think that I enjoyed it more. Like I understand that it's an album meant to be played at like pool parties 
and shit. Yeah. Like, it's not an album to be I like... I think it's hilarious that Drake, who is obviously backed by millions of dollars for an album, is putting music out that has glaring technical issues. Like, yeah, that, that is was... <laughs> fucking insane. We talked like, about that. I sent you a text message that night after when it came out, and I was like, I don't understand how you can be a multi-millionaire. Yeah. Th- that's the music equivalent of Game of Thrones putting out an episode with fucking Starbucks cups in it. Like, that is... <laughs> that is the You have... How many people at HBO did that episode go through that missed it? Like, that is... Hundred, a thousand people that saw that and missed it. His like, so that means Drake missed it. That means fucking forty missed it. That means his fucking catalog of producers and people at OVO and whatever fucking label he's on missed the fact that he didn't have properly. Like that's fucking crazy. I do think that they did change out some of the songs because when I listened to it again. It wasn't as bad, but the first time I listened to it, there were parts where his voice was like, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Okay, imagine, okay, but that's the thing that I think, again, this, we're going long and this is a tangent, but like, that's the thing that I think digital streaming has fucked over music is now it allows for mistakes to happen. In back in the seventies, if you made an album that was horribly missed, mixed and pressed an album and pressed, say, 50,000 copies of this album, and you sell that album for $20, because, you know, it costs $15 or $10 to make an out. Al- you're losing thousands of dollars because you made an album that you fucked up. Whereas Drake, he doesn't lose any money by putting a bad mix up on Spotify now. That's just a simple <laughs> fix, which is why now you have people that do fucking shoddy work and get away with it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's like, oh, we'll just fix it. It's like, well, no, if this was however years ago where you had to record on tape or anything, you, you can't. You, there's no fixing it. I And I, I think also with, I mean, it's a product of digital recording that you have like, you know, people, we go back to the Billie Eilish 80 take for one song thing where it's like you kind of suck the character out of it, you know, try. It's OK to have a little bit of a bad, a little bit of bad mix or a little bit of a bad, you know, not bad, but like a yeah, unique that humanizes yeah, human like- humanization of of stuff. Now, it could just be that they uploaded the wrong files. It it happens when you have hundreds of mixes. And like, you know, it's not. But again, so you have how 50. many people does that go through? And that's like especially where, <laughs> of a musician of that caliber. He's the biggest pop star in the fucking world. Yeah, and I agree with that. That was where my problem was: was how is it that you could be, uh, you know, I don't want to listen to and that's what he sounded like. He sounded like he was inside the microphone being crushed. And I was like, what is happening here? Why I is wish this- that happened to him. Shrink him down Ant-Man style. <laughs> I'll put him inside of a microphone and crush him. And then he could grow really big like in that scene from The Boys. Except this time yeah. he just blows up the microphone, not uh, uh, not my penis. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of The Boys, apparently the next episode is uh, going to be quite controversial. So probably... It's dropping today and next week we will probably talk about it. But uh, I I believe it's uh, incorporating the hero gasm mini arc of the uh, of the 
comic books, uh, which involves uh, all the superheroes going to an island and doing drugs and uh, having gratuitous amounts of sex. And there's like a warning for the episode saying that it's like nice. not. Yeah. So we're going to see what that's about because they already had a, a, a man eating his best friend talking octopus uh, and then a guy blowing up another guy from inside of his penis. So we'll see what else they have this season. We'll see what else yeah, they bring. Tune in next week and yeah. we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, sorry we went on that tangent about Drake, Dan. We just a uh, little bit of music talk. Worries, Thank you for coming on the uh, the podcast. And uh, I it'll be really nice to uh, meet you in person on Sunday. I wish you all the best for the screening. And I can't wait to see your film. Um, and uh, and yeah, just just really stoked about it. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you both, guys. I hope to see you on Sunday. Yeah, we'll yeah, be, there. be there. Um, so yeah, it's uh Regicide's uh screening at the Princess Original, that's right there on Princess, uh 7 p.m. Uh yeah, so that's Sunday the 26th, 7 p.m. Pay what you can, just have nothing to do, don't have any money, just walk there, you know, crawl there, we'll do whatever you want. Um, yeah, are you on social media? Do you want people to follow you anywhere, Dan, or see your stuff anywhere? Not particularly. <laughs> All right. Say words. All say right. less. Um, that's, that's actually the best. Being not online is best. But uh, in in spite of saying that, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Otis Morris Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at PL or not. No, that's Twitter at PLMRDR and uh, on Instagram Palm Reader with the last E or without the last E P-A-L-M-R-E-A-D-R. Um, you can stream the singles from the Anxiety Weekend album on Infinite Repeat on our SoundCloud. Also, all three of them are available on streaming platforms. I got one more to drop uh, probably in a week or two, and then I'm going to finish the album and put it out in uh, July or August. I'm really excited for everybody to hear that. If you have any uh, comments, questions, uh, movies you'd like us to talk about or or anything you want to say to the Bird Boys uh, trademarked TM, you can, uh, it wasn't actually trademarked. You can steal that. Um, but uh, you can email us at Bird Protocol. Uh, it's uh, birdprotocol at gmail.com uh, or hit us up on social media's uh, different platforms uh, that we had listed. Okay, I guess that's it. Thanks, Dan, for coming on, and I uh, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Initiate the protocol. Come to the Regicide screening, and, uh, yeah, be safe out there. Peace. Shh.